Oh yeah, no, he no, he's he's the man, dude. Like he he represented a like high profile cases. I'm pretty sure he got involved in the George Floyd situation mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. Nichols. I mean, yeah, it, the list is it, it's pretty in depth. Um, he, yeah, um, fine. I think yeah. if you want to go down just the timeline of events, uh, you know, let the listener know what's going on. I mean, Northwest cool. is pretty much a, a <laughs> right now. Um, they have no That's idea. Fair. Like, yeah, we. So I, I guess I'll intro it a little bit, just saying. Like, yeah. First off, we have um, one of my classmates from law school, Chris Dows, my man. How you doing? Um, maintaining, man. <laughs> maintaining is uh, sounds about right. That's what Northwestern is doing right now. Uh, Chris. <laughs> That's generous. Right, right, right. And Chris is from Chicago and um, just another, uh, you know, law school friend of mine, another attorney as well. Uh, we're a year in the game, man. So congrats to us, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the invite on, the chance to uh, talk about Javon Carter and Tori Craig and how they're going to fix the entire Bulls backcourt. This is a yeah. great opportunity to bring on for that. <laughs> Uh, we'll definitely get into some Bulls talk. I, I'm sure naturally, like we always do, we'll start talking about that. But um, uh, he also brought a buddy of his on, uh, John Grossman. Um, this is my first time meeting John. And, it, you know, Chris was like, hey, like he worked with Northwestern. He was on the sidelines for all this stuff going on. Uh, so appreciate you coming on too, John. Yeah, happy to be here. Yes, sir. So, um for our purposes, really, right now, where ball is law, we typically talk about NBA. We typically talk about, you know, even college basketball. Sometimes we talk college football. Um, like last last pod, we got into NIL, and sometimes that just kind of crosses over, and, you know, it, it'll easily get into that. But in this instance, um, it was just so interesting what was going on over at Northwestern for football. And, you know, even though it's ball is law, we can really get into whatever we want. And the law is <clears> all <throat> in the, <laughs> like attorneys just doing the worst things possible. So I think this will be the perfect way to show our our range as a podcast that we start talking about some legal topics, too, with the NBA mm-hmm. in, in the dead period right now with summer league about to be over and and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, yeah. up to you to let us know or let the listener know what the hell is going on at Northwestern? Where did this, how did this start? Yeah. So Northwestern university football program, and it's going to quickly expand outward beyond football. Um, This story that kind of has been breaking over the past week or so started back in 2022 in late November. Um, Northwestern had received some anonymous complaints via some emails regarding hazing allegations within their football program. Um, they immediately, Northwestern hired a, um, independent attorney, uh, to conduct an investigation into those allegations. That was in late November. And in December, um, the investigation was kind of in full swing. The anonymous complainant was being interviewed by the investigation team. And in January of 2023, finally, 
Northwestern publicly disclosed that this investigation was happening. They were a private, they are a private in, uh, institution. So they finally publicly disclosed that, hey, we're having this investigation. There were reports of hazing um, and it's being done by an independent third party. They did that in January of 2023. Now, things picked up in uh, July of 2023. On July 7th, Northwestern released the executive summary of the investigation. They did not detail any of the specific findings, which is a very key point that will come in in a few days. But they essentially released their executive summary of the investigation. They didn't publish the investigation. And because they're a private university, they didn't have to. And they said that the investigation team interviewed more than 50 people whether they were affiliated or formally affiliated with the football program, hundreds of thousands of emails and player survey data dating back to 2014, current uh, former players as well, and essentially concluded that they did not discover sufficient evidence to definitively say that the Northwestern coaching staff knew of the hazing, but they determined that there was hazing and there had been significant opportunities to discover and report the hazing conduct. That was the conclusion of the report, according to Northwestern University, on July 7th. And then they followed that announcement by saying that they were placing their head coach, Pat Fitzgerald, on a two-week unpaid suspension, effective immediately. Now, John, can you kind of provide some context into Pat Fitzgerald and what he represents at Northwestern, kind of a stalwart of their program? I don't even necessarily know it's what he represents. He is the football yeah. program. <laughs> Um, for anybody who doesn't know, Pat Fitzgerald was a player at Northwestern and is arguably the best player they've ever had. Um, he didn't really get the accolades besides an All-American bid um, and didn't really have a good professional career. So he kind of fell by the wayside in terms of like recognizability. Um, but he played back in 95, 96, uh, which is when they went to the Rose Bowl and then got absolutely molly whopped by Peyton Manning's Tennessee Volunteers the year after that. Um, but previous to Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern was a colossal dumpster fire, which we might be slowly approaching soon here. <laughs> um, but they, they have the longest losing streak in NCAA history during the 70s and 80s, um, basically three-plus seasons straight of zero wins. Um, it was an academic school. People didn't go there to play football, didn't go there to play athletics in any capacity with any of the teams. Um, Pat really put them on the map during that Rose Bowl run and then obviously got hired as their head coach following the unfortunate passing of Randy Walker. Um, he was a defensive coordinator at the time. I believe he was 35 years old and he just kind of got promoted in the head coach job. And I think this is kind of where, where the culture part of the, the program started is when he got hired, he said, Hey, if this doesn't work out, I'll resign. I don't want to be stuck here. I don't want to push this program and towards losing mentality. Like if this doesn't work, I'm not going to muddy myself or my name or anything else. I'm going to get out. The opposite happened. He's, he's turned the program around. He's led us to two um, big 10 championship games in the last five years, which seems forever ago, given that we've won three games in the past two years. Um, and uh, every bowl game, except for two in the program's history, uh, he's basically a legend. Like he is Northwestern football. He's the only coach I think in the country that can pull off two, one or three win seasons in a row and not even really be on the hot seat yet. They mm -hmm. signed a 10 year extension from one of those years. So <laughs> it's, it's hard to fathom that it's, it's reached this point of him kind of being a pariah of the school at this, at this stage. So 
Mm-hmm. And and all the way through that, I think the way that the fans' perception is like, even if even if we're not competing for national championships or anything else, at least we do it the right way. He's always instilled um, a culture of family. It's it's his his phrase was good, clean American fun, which kind of seems sinister now that you kind of know what was going on behind the scenes. Um, and his recruiting pitch to high school students wasn't it was you're not coming here for a four-year decision. You're coming here for a 40-year decision. So even if it doesn't work out on the football field, you're setting yourself up for success and whatever else you want to do. So it was all set up and everything was hunky-dory. Obviously (laughs) we weren't too pleased with how things were going on the field, but it was Mm -hmm. still everything. Everything was fine until two weeks ago. And then then the cracks started rapidly appearing. Yeah. So uh, what was the, um, I, I love that little quote from him. Uh, good old fashioned, like what was it, American what? Good, good, clean American fun. Good, clean, good, clean American fun. Dang, no way, was like on a freaking interstate, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, but no, nah, I mean, I want to really get into too, like the fact the hazing that. Well, they said it's alleged hazing, but there's been so many people that have scored at this point. Where I don't know if you can say it's a legend anymore. Like, it's, yeah, it clearly happened. So, so that so on July seventh, Carson, did you even know the like? Did you hear anything about like, oh, Patrick Fitzgerald got a two week suspension for Northwestern? Like, was that even on? No, not until the, we, like mainstream radar. Not until we talked about. It, I had no idea, and and that's yeah. why John was also able to give me more background because I I know nothing about Northwestern football. So, mm-hmm. so. The day after, July 8th, is really kind of when things turned. On July 8th, the student-run news site, the Daily Northwestern, published the ha- the actual hazing allegations where two players um, came forward and identified – they um, anonymously came forward and confirmed – their details were confirmed by ESPN – Detailing everything that went into the hazing. Um, I don't know if we want to get into that. If there's like a trigger warning, but um, <laughs> essentially, it, yeah, it it was really rough. Um, I mean, I, I would assume that's probably a caveat for people in different athletic, you know, in different locker rooms. But um, there was uh, a thing, a practice that they uh, said called running, where underclassmen were restrained in the dark locker room and dry humped by upperclassmen wearing uh, what the report said were purge-like masks. Um, There was all sorts of naked punishments, um, naked uh, center QB exchanges, um, Gatorade chugs, all types of hazing that came out. And this report really blew up. Um, And there was an immediate response by the university after everyone was kind of coming out and saying, wait, this was all in there and gave this guy a two week suspension. What the hell is going on here? And there was then a letter from the entire Northwestern football team. Uh, It was labeled the entire Northwestern football team. I don't know the details on that. John, do you know anything about that? The information that's been released by that was that that letter was sent to a reporter by a phone number that was registered to a previous assistant coach that went to the school. They don't really know who penned it. They said it was from leadership of the football team, but it hasn't. 
come out in any capacity of who actually wrote it. If you actually read the letter, it's really poorly written. It's not, it's not a very good. (laughs) And what somebody pointed out was it is literally segment by segment, the exact same as the narcissist prayer where it's, it didn't happen. And it's, if it did happen, it wasn't that bad. And then if it did happen, it wasn't our fault. And in that letter and everywhere else, like, and I, this is what I struggle with too, is tons of former players have posted support for Pat Fitzgerald and everything else kind of in response to that letter is that none of them are explicitly denying that any of this happened. Everybody just talks about, Hey, he's a, he's a man of character and this is a program of character, whatever else. Never say this didn't happen. We never did that. Somebody's lying. This is, this is BS, whatever else. So you can kind of, you can kind of start reading between the lines once you see yeah. like, 15, 20 of these posts were just like, okay, this is, it's not looking great, guys. Like, if none of you yeah. are coming out and saying, like, hey, we we didn't do naked things in the showers to freshmen to make them uncomfortable, like, it's probably happening in some capacity. Well, tough too. I mean, so this letter said, sorry, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's tough too, right? Because, I mean, it's not like this is like the hazing wasn't just like, this isn't new. Like, this is mm-hmm. from. What I've seen in different articles, like from CBS News, everything like that, like this has been happening since late, late 2000s, mid to late 2000s. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like this is stuff that now other athletes are starting to come out that played for Northwestern. And like you were saying earlier, John said that, that it's not even just football anymore. Like it's going to start mm-hmm. into other sports and there's baseball, yeah. basketball, there's all these things. And I, I think I even read where like some of these players were forced to cut their hair and some of the players. Mm-hmm. A lot of things, and I've heard that before, but you know, it's really low level compared to the allegations that you just read off, Chris. Yeah, and so when that came out, there was this response uh, by the, as we were saying, the entire Northwestern football team was who it was labeled from. You know, we don't know exactly who was behind that, which said that the allegations were twisted and uh, kind of, again, as you were saying, like it didn't happen. But if it did happen, it wasn't that bad. And if it wasn't that bad, you know, then we had no, we weren't a part of it. Um, But then more and more allegations and reports started to come out, as you were saying, Carson, kind of about the entire culture. And one of the uh, follow-ups on July 10th from uh, the same Daily Northwestern student-run newspaper uh, spoke with three former uh, Northwestern football players, um, one of them, Ramon Diaz Jr., a uh, Latino offensive lineman for Northwestern from 2005 kind of talked about beyond just the hazing allegations, corroborating those, but further going into the kind of culture of what was described as a culture of enabling racism. You kind of hinted at it, Carson. One of the things that they talked about was having um, players cut their hair, um, but specifically black players cutting their hair. Uh, white players were allowed to have longer hairstyles, but black players couldn't have dreadlocks. Um, they, uh, and that kind of goes to um, Fitzgerald and the coaching staff uh, pushing that this, um, as you put it, John, the good, clean American fun uh, and the wildcat way. Um, Diaz stated that uh, the culture enabled him to a point where I didn't feel like I could be anything other than white. And so as these reports keep coming out and we get more and more information about this, we then get to on 
uh, July 10th when that report came out where uh, Diaz spoke out and identified himself, um, the Northwestern president, uh, Schill, comes out and says that we have to review our conclusion. We The two-week suspension was not enough. I didn't focus enough on um, what Coach Fitzgerald should have known. Um, I instead focus on the fact that they found he, uh, they could not prove that he did know about the hazing and, um, he was fired. And that kind of brings us to where we are now, where Fitzgerald's been fired. Additionally, the baseball coach has been fired due to other cultural implications that are coming out in that program at Northwestern. And, Fitzgerald's hired an attorney, a very prominent litigator in Chicago. He is Fitzgerald is claiming that um, he was, or his attorney is claiming that he was fired with cause. And however, he was promised this two week suspension. And there's claiming they're even making an oral contract argument there. And also, players are now starting to just news today. Players are. Um, partnering with civil rights attorney Ben Crump to represent them. Uh, I believe it's eight former Northwestern players um, to pursue, to pursue legal action against the school over hazing within the program. So things are going to get very litigious here very quickly. Yeah. I wanted to go back to the fact that Northwestern. So in our conversation in text messages, Chris, we were talking about how Northwestern mm-hmm. used a third party law firm to conduct their investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I remember asking you if Northwestern conducted their own investigation beforehand, before they even went to the third party. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember what your answer was to that. Uh, I, Not to my knowledge. I, they may have. I think they immediately, once they, once they received this anonymous complaint of hazing allegations back in November, they quickly hired an independent attorney to conduct an investigation. I think they were trying to do this. Again, I, I, my understanding is they were trying to do this the right way and as objectively as possible from the start. It's really what happens after they say two-week suspension, investigation close, where everything kind of gets bumbled up. It's once, once the investigation goes back to them and it's like, all right, here's this. What do you do with it? That's yeah. when things really kind of get screwed up. Yeah, because I think I remember we were like, it's two weeks. Well, the oral contract that they're that uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, that it was two weeks and nothing more, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they're like, no, you're you're done. (laughs) Like, I mean, (laughs) I think the biggest thing, biggest conversation we had was about, okay, what's next? Like, we don't know what's gonna happen with the school because now the school is gonna get sued by these former athletes you know what i mean like that's just what's gonna happen um especially now that attorney crump is involved like and he's trying to get kind of like a a class action or something uh, he's trying to get a whole pool of players yeah. together, trying to get them all to come forward from 2000 even back in like the 2000s you know so mm-hmm. i mean i don't know what the um you know where the end result would be with that but i do know like the ncaa there has to be something that happens there. Like, and that was where we were having the conversation where I know you spoke with some people that said the NCAA can't get involved or 
they won't get involved or whatever. Yeah, who knows? Like, those conversations you had with people uh, when talking about whether the NCAA will put a sanction on the school or do anything. I Yeah, I don't know if the NCAA will do anything. I think a lot of people, and John, if you want to chime in too on this, I think a lot of people believe that, you know, Northwestern is is taking the actions that need to be taken and that wouldn't merit punishment, um, further punishment. You know, they're kind of, they're clearing out their head coach. They're going through all this. Um, but as we get to this kind of wider, as the, as this expands further and further, I don't know. It, it's, it's really something that I don't know how that would go. I mean, I know Carson, you have experience with the NCAA and might have some insights into that too, but I don't know if John, you want to hop in on that. Yeah, I think my personal guess is the NCAA is going to stay as far away from this as they possibly can for at least for now. I think from their viewpoint, probably with him getting fired and some of the other pieces that they're putting into place in terms of monitoring and trying to adjust the culture moving forward will be enough to satiate whatever desire the NCAA would want to get into this. I think the other side of it is this isn't really a competitive issue for the NCA to be kind of concerned with. I think they'll probably say like, get your house in order, but won't necessarily take any like set action against the school at this point. I think based on kind of the, the way that that article or, or press release was sent out today about the players seeking uh, to sue the school, it sounded like they were looking to find players at other schools to jump in as well. Like you said, to turn this into more like class action. And I think if that does happen, then the NCA needs to get involved. And I, I say need, but knowing how the NCA is and, and how they fail to act on most everything that happens in, in their sphere of the world with NIL and everything else, I don't know if they will, or they'll be very slow to react and what they do probably won't be enough. But I know, I know at least for them, it's, it's probably a, a lose, lose situation of getting involved at this point. Yeah. And and I I agree with uh with the first part of what you said that the NCAA and I think I said this to you too Chris like the NCAA mm-hmm. they're gonna they're gonna wait they're not gonna act mm-hmm. on it right now because there's not even though we have a lot of facts out there and it sounds terrible there still mm-hmm. hasn't been really any anything that that came to fruition yet yes they fired the coach which again to your point Chris like that was the right steps to take like. Even if they said, yeah, two week suspension, once more things became uncovered, it was like, okay, we have to get rid of this guy. Even if he's heavily regarded as John was talking about earlier, you know, he's one of the greats. Um, yeah. but they still had to go through the tough decision of letting him go. Now I'm on the fence of saying like, I'm on the side of the fence of saying, you know, even though it doesn't have a competitive advantage when mm-hmm. You're part of the NCAA. You still have to uphold a certain standard with your school, right? So, like, so what you were saying, like, if they become, if it become, if it becomes a class action lawsuit, I do feel like, I mean, the NCAA is going to step in right away. I would think. Now, mm-hmm. I could be wrong because, like you just said, like, it seem like they may be slow at times, and they may, they, and sometimes they just pick and choose on when they care and when they don't, right? Like, it's not really. Like, you know, a lot of people that work in the committee of infractions, like, we don't know when they're actually going to take care of what needs to get done. But I think that in this instance, like, they do sit around, they sit around, wait. But I'm also wondering, 
if the NCAA looks at, okay, like, why didn't anyone know about this? Like, you should have known about this, right? Like, and I, it brings up that question of negligence if we really want to get into it. And when it's like, okay, yes, maybe we can't prove intent right now, but we can definitely prove that you should have known when you have your own athletes showing up with dreads one day and none the next. You know what I mean? Or like that, that should be the, the clearest indication that something's going on. Right. But I don't know. Like it, it could definitely get dicey. Yeah. I think it, there's a big part of me that wants to think that he didn't know any of this was happening in any capacity. I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle where he probably, and every team has this, where a coach has a set group of players, upperclassmen that are kind of meant to be the leaders. And if somebody's not, performing as well as they should be or isn't living up to the standards of the program that there's kind of an unspoken agreement between the coach and those players of like, Hey, go, go sort this kid out. Mm -hmm. Now I don't think sorting that kid out means dry humping them and purge masks in the dark locker room. I think it's more of like a talking to or extra time after practice and, and legitimate running and not running in the terms of the way that it was posted in this. So I think it's probably that kind of gray area. The way that Northwestern's program is set up is is set up to learn things about this. They do exit interviews with every player every year. There's a player committee that reports not to the head coach, but reports to other people within the athletic department just to kind of get out of that power structure. And like you'd hope that would be enough that somebody, if they were having these terrible things happen to them, would be able to speak out. But obviously, as we've seen in every other kind of power relationship, it's hard to do that. And you're, you're speaking out in a way that doesn't just affect the other hundred guys in your locker room. It affects the thousands and thousands of fans. If they have to fire this colossal figurehead of, of your school. So I, I think it's, it's just difficult. And I understand that they're saying he didn't know. I think, I think for having been reported to go on for as long as it has been, like you have to know something. Right. Like, I think even from the inside looking out and, and whatever access that I have just kind of being around the program as much as I have, like you, you could see there were some cracks and like just things, things weren't as good as people were saying they were just from the way that people were behaving and talking to each other on the sidelines and everything else. And what you heard from the coaches and, and other people who are around the program every day. So like, I, I think they were probably, kind of plugging their ears and closing their eyes and, and just ignoring it just to try to, to write the ship competitively until they could kind of figure everything else out. But that's obviously not what you should be doing in this kind of a situation. Do one thing I'd love to get both of your guys' takes on is do kind of going towards this. Um, and as you noted, John, the um, Crump said in his report today, the attorney for the players said that, um, he, the legal action is expected to expand beyond Northwestern football program and will expose extreme and abusive hazing in other college athletic programs as well. Is the type of beyond the atrocious hazing that did occur in those practices is how prevalent do you guys think the um, kind of racial they describe it as a culture of enabling racism, right? You know, black players got to cut your hair, um, play the right way, look the right way, look the, you know, look our way. Uh, And how much do you guys think that is still prevalent in 
any big in University of Alabama? Or is it not? Is this kind of a pocketed thing at Northwestern? Um, well, I'll say that two things. One, I think it's definitely prevalent. I mean, mm-hmm. me, you and I went to Marquette. When we first mm-hmm. got here, there was a huge scandal about racism within the locker room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, across. Like, that was national news. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I believe people got fired because of that situation as well, you know? So, and that's just lacrosse. And that's a smaller, that's a smaller team, smaller coaching staff. Like, I can't imagine being at a bigger school where, you know, God knows what. And at the same time, yeah. you know, to the last point that John made uh, about how maybe they were just, like, closing their eyes and plugging their ears, I think that was probably what was going on for the whole time. <laughs> you know, like, if they like they just didn't want to know. Like, I've been in locker rooms where it's just, like, maybe not even locker rooms, but just – I've been in situations where it's like the people that are in charge are like, "Hey, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Y'all do what I do as long as y'all perform, whatever, right?" Mm-hmm. And I feel like that—that's something that probably happens more often than not. It's something that's kind of an unspoken rule in the locker room, and that's probably why we haven't heard about this, right? Like, that's probably mm-hmm. why people are just now coming out. Now, they—they, they, I don't know if there's been, you know situations where people are just getting dry humps and all this weird stuff going on in the locker room, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know about all of that, but it even goes back to, like, fraternities, right? <laughs> Sorority, you know? Like, hazing mm-hmm. is an unspoken thing that it's not gone, and let's stop pretending like it is. Like, it's still prevalent today, and I'm not saying you guys are. I'm just saying, like, as society, I'd be like, even though, like, schools are like, oh, we're anti-hazing, how much are they actually going, like, how how much are they policing that? You know what I mean? They're not. Mm-hmm. Someone comes forward and says it, which they're not going to. And I think of it, like, I mean, the college football team is like a fraternity as well. <laughs> you know, like, there, there, mm-hmm. there's spoken rules there where you know, the confines of what was happening within that uh, locker room and you're going to stick to that. You're not going to let anything get outside of the locker room and nothing like that. So uh, really my main two things, because it was just like, I definitely think that it's still happening today. No doubt. Yeah. I guarantee you there were a lot of uh, player coach meetings the day after this came out. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no doubt. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if this, if um, if what Crump's got going on, if that really gets expanded. That's going to be really interesting to see. Like, I bet there's a lot of ads right now that are kind of like, oh, we'll just go check in on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's like I mean, another interesting thing, and I know we we're, we're pressed for time on this recording, but we can start up one. <laughs> Like, I think about the Yankees. I just heard about the Yankees the other day. Like, they have rules where you can't have long hair. You can't have facial hair. You, face you, you know what I mean? Like, and that's something I never knew about the Yankees. But it's specifically towards them. They can't have names on the back of the jerseys. There's, like, there's certain things that have a custom for their organization. And it's not seen as racist, but it's also seen as, like, 
American, like, this is the way. This is the Yankee way. Yeah. Like, the Northwestern way. So I just see those two, par- like, they're parallel to each other. But we're not looking at the Yankees. We don't know what's going on in the Yankees locker room. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Billion dollar company, but it's just it's, it's something that I thought of when we were going through all this. Yeah, I, th- I think why they get away with it is because it applies to everybody. Doesn't matter white, black, Latin American, whatever else. It does makes no difference to them that you if you play for the Yankees, you do what the Yankees tell you to do, and that's it. I think with with Northwestern, it gets in in there because it was only about black players and having dreads or anything else like that and certain haircuts and things like that. And what really hurts me is I, I don't know if you guys were in the loop on this, but Northwestern two or three years ago just got in trouble for a cheerleading scandal where they were telling the black cheerleaders that they couldn't have certain hairstyles and everything else in addition to to letting them get exposed to drunk fans doing stupid things to them without kind of having security with them. And this resulted in, in a guy they hired as their athletic director having to resign within a week after he got hired because he was the one who oversaw this scandal and kind of let it happen. So you'd figure that would have been enough for them to be like, hey, let's let's take this as a learning experience and mm-hmm. look over all of our codes of conduct and everything else that we have in place and like make sure that we're in with the times and not not living in the 1950s. But Apparently that didn't happen, and nobody thought to do that. What are you guys' uh, final thoughts on this situation? On Chris and I are staring at each other. Who's going to talk first? I th- I'll go first. I think I think the university basically did everything they possibly could have done wrong throughout this entire process, besides hiring the third party lawyer. Like I thought, as soon as that statement came out, I said, "Hey, we're going to do this the right way. We're hiring a third party investigator." I, I felt comfortable. I'm like, great. I'm glad that you're looking into it and like took it seriously. You're going to look into it. When the suspension came out, I was like, okay, it must have not been that bad. Like somebody must have been smacking somebody with a towel or something like just, just normal dumb jock stuff. And then once the day after that report came out from, from the anonymous reporter, it was kind of like, whoa, like I, I really hope this isn't true. And then the other side of it was that this is true. Like, what were you thinking? Only putting him on suspension for two weeks. And I think I think this is where Northwestern being a private school kind of hurts them is they they can't get FOIA requested for that report where every other school in the country could. Somebody could go find out exactly what's said in it. And I think that hurt them because it would have been to their benefit to just redact names and release the report and suspend fits indefinitely and kind of let let the narrative go where it does and, and decide on kind of what you need to do from there. And I, I think it kind of led them down the path of when the president who has a history in law and should know better put in writing that he was looking back into his punishment and there was, there was no new information that came to light to make his decision. Why you would ever put that in writing. I have absolutely no idea. Um, but I think that's going to be a direct um, like piece of evidence and, and fits his lawsuit against the school itself for, for cause and getting fired is that now they're probably going to have to settle for a majority of his contract, which I believe there was still $43 million left on. So like the school is going to have to pay for that head over heels. And then with this student lawsuit, I, I have no idea where it's going to go and, and where it's going to wind up. But I think the schools position themselves in a really poor way to defend against it. 
because now if they're firing their coach, they're kind of admitting that there was something going on. And I, I think the school plead like ignorance and to say we nobody knew. And once we knew, we took the right course of action. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's going to be a long way out. The, the light at the end of the tunnel is far, far away, and this is a long ways away from being over. So I'm I'm curious where it's going to go as a fan. It, it hurts, and I'm just sad. Like it's the overall emotion I have about it, and then just having to look at it objectively is is, is tough. And you you want to think that the people you know wouldn't wouldn't do things like this or would would take action if they did, but. Yeah, it's hard hard to believe we're at where we are right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would just I would just echo everything that John said. I think Nor- Northwestern's best and only step was that first move of immediately bringing in an independent investigator. I think that was a fantastic move. The timing was good, um, but then everything after that has been just what seemingly is like worst possible decision made. Um, it's sad. It's sad for the players. It's sad for the organization. I mean, I think a lot of people have started to get kind of like drawn, kind of wrapped up in this, like, well, let's, you know, let's see. Oh, he didn't really know anything. And it's like, well, that's almost an indictment of it in and of itself. If it doesn't matter. I think John, you, yeah, John, you tell us. How, how do you how do you go uh, into a, a parent's house with their seventeen year old and be like, yeah. "I'm going to protect your son"? Oh man! But we have to have a third party person in the locker room to make sure that your son doesn't get hazed. But it's fine. Everything's fine. Like it just yeah. it just it's not practical. So even even if he didn't know, and none of this, and it wasn't over exaggeration or anything else, like there's there's no way out. That's the whole thing in itself. Yeah. Like, he's going to take a huge hit on all levels, really. And it's yeah. no doubt. But I think to 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 also wrap everything up, it it goes to show to just be before John like Northwestern, they them being a private institute, like they were able to kind of sweep things under the rug because they don't have to provide this, you know, open um, records, you know, and they, they can really just mm-hmm. under the rug. Um, and I think that was something that the NCAA, again, if they were to even get involved or if, uh, any court were to, you know, hear this, which it sounds like, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things is like, if you had nothing to hide, then why didn't you just, let us know what was going on. Why didn't you tell us what the records were? Why didn't you, I mean, you can redact the names and everything, but like, you know, so mm-hmm. it, again, like I, to, yeah. I do think it's a sad situation uh, for all involved, but at the same time, you feel, I feel worse for the players that had to endure all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's, and again, it's not just Northwestern. <laughs> like this is good. No this, doubt. And, so what your question was earlier, like this is happening nationally. Maybe. Yeah. I I think one of the things that I really hope doesn't happen, but I could see happening with how Northwestern really bumbled the, um, uh, it even seems like bumbled isn't the right word, like completely screwed up this whole process afterwards is if, 
you know, Fitzgerald's firing gets into the courtroom and he wins, right? And let's say there's this big, you know, I I hope people don't kind of take that narrative. I hope this doesn't become a story about like how Northwestern bumbled firing their coach. And instead it's like, hey, this is like, this stuff isn't okay. We can't have coaches n- not knowing that this is going on or knowing that this is going on. If, if you don't know that this is going on, that's an indictment of you on a head coach and you got to go. But I could see this becoming a like, well, Northwestern screwed up and like Fitz kind of took it to him. And, you know, he's the uh, kind of like he, kind of anti-hero at the end of the day for some. It already has. All like, this like, yeah. The fan base is, is pretty close to split down the middle of people who, to your previous statement, it doesn't matter. If you knew, didn't know, you should be out because if something like this is happening under your watch, you, you either need to know about it or if you didn't know about it, it's completely inappropriate that you would let it continue. But there are, there are tons of fans that see Fitz as like their football god and consider him infallible because he, he did have, like, he was well respected. Every interaction I've ever had with him, I know him on a first name basis, like has been very kind, cordial. The things I hear about him on off the field have all been great until this. So people just don't want to believe. And I think they're kind of stuck in that phase of denial where they don't want to accept that. And I think, I think that's probably a matter of circumstance where the school had to retain their assistant coaches for this year. Like if it's was culpable in this, they should be too, but logistically kill the football team in two weeks with no coaches. So like, I think, I think probably this year is going to be a stopgap, and then I hope what happens is next year they just rip it down to the studs and start over because I think you just need to wash yourself clean of everything and start from square one on culture. But, yeah, it's it's the fan base is going to be really interesting to see where it goes this year because it's, it's in a really chaotic spot right now. <laughs> I can only imagine – I could only imagine. <laughs> and that's why I could hear the pain in your guys' voices. I mean, it's definitely a sad but the fact that you guys like are from Chicago and I mean you went to Northwestern, right, John? No, I, I went to Marquette. My dad went there, but like him and I have worked in some capacity with a team since I was a teenager. So you can't see behind me, but there's there's five things in this room signed by Coach Fitzgerald <laughs> and everything else. So like it's it hits close to home. It's tough, but it's it's just kind of embarrassing how poorly this was all handled. It used, yeah. to, it used to be fun to tell people like, "Hey, yeah, I work with the Northwestern football team." Now I gotta be like, "Yeah, I work with Northwestern." Like, <laughs> on to the next thing. College football? What's that? Yeah. Sounds cool. <laughs> um, we'll uh, we'll take a hard pivot here. Um, I want to get into some NBA stuff for for our folks that listen for that, but. I definitely uh schooling me and, and others on what's going on and just uh you know, it's gonna be something that it may not be important right now to like people outside of that love Northwestern, but it's gonna balloon into something more is what it's looking like. Mm-hmm. It'll be something to keep an eye on. Um mm-hmm. one thing that I'll start with with the NBA though. Um Starting with like really from the top, the NBA, they, they have two huge rule changes and I wanted to talk about that. Um, and the first one is the anti-flop rule, which 
I think mm-hmm. everyone just gave a round of applause to. It was like, finally, there is a penalty for flopping. Besides just a fine, there's an in-game penalty now for flopping. Mm-hmm. Money is nothing to these players, which the, the league finally realized. So they're just like, mm-hmm. right, how about we actually affect the game? And it's like, all right, there's an anti-flopping rule. So the rule says uh, if a flopping penalty is assessed by game officials, the opposing team will be awarded one free throw attempt, which doesn't sound like much, but that one free throw, we've seen games where that is it's enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, especially now that we have the, the playing tournament, right? At the end of the year, where that's their way to even decide if we can get, if a team could get into the playoffs or not, right? So it's like mm-hmm. done situations now where teams are fighting for their lives. And now with the Heat progressing as far as they did, teams are looking at the play-in as actually important now. Like, it it, it, it matters. Um, so the rule also says if a player who commits a flop will be charged with a non-unsportsmanlike... Oh, I'm sorry. A player who commits a flop will be charged with a non-unsportsmanlike technical foul as well. Uh, a player will not, will not be ejected from a game based on flopping violations, which... I don't know. That might be something they change. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Man. Imagine getting teed up twice for, for flopping. <laughs> I can see some. You have to watch. Technical or some egregious flops coming from Marcus Smart being in Memphis. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think I'm most excited for the um, the uh, because it's a free throw that allows for TV time to play all the replays. So not only do you get called for a flop, it's a technical, but now they're shooting a free throw and TV time is just going to be replaying that flop all day long as this guy's taking his time shooting his free throw. I'm ready for that. Yeah, whoever whoever the first guy that gets called on this year is going <laughs> to not be happy because they're going to be on Sports Center for a week. <laughs> Inside the NBA is going to be feasting. But I'll tell you guys the most interesting part about the rule, and that's the final part. And this is the part mm-hmm. that I you guys' thoughts on. It's the officials will not be required to stop live play to call a flopping violation. They can wait until mm-hmm. the neutral opportunity to stop play. Mm-hmm. So the refs now have leeway to – now they really control the game. If they didn't before – I mean, now they really can just be like, all right, We'll wait until after this commercial break, like we were just talking about, or mm-hmm. so, you know, there's a jump ball being called to finally be like, oh, by the way, back there, mm-hmm. so we're giving them. Like, I can't imagine. You know how many times we're gonna come back from commercial break, and then all of a sudden we just see teams at the free throw line, shooting a free throw, or just one guy at the free throw line shooting a free throw. And we're like, what the hell just happened? They're like, oh yeah, yeah. like two possession two or like even like three plays ago because you know basketball a lot of times the game doesn't stop either if there's a time mm-hmm. or i i wish that this would happen but you know there are times where the game isn't like fouls aren't called and then teams are just going down and back down and back there may be five possessions and then all of a sudden we come back from commercial it's like damn wait that that happened they can give them that so yeah. on that final part of the rules, do you, do you like it? Do you think it's like what? What are your just thoughts on that initial thoughts? John, you want to take that one? 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's good and bad. Like, I, I think giving them the, the chance to review it is probably what makes the most sense because you can actually see in slow motion if there was contact or the egregious head fakes that everybody does these days if somebody gets within a breathing distance of them. Um, I think it's it's always really hard to give refs something that's basically kind of up up for what they think about it. It's not really a hard and fast rule. It's kind of open to interpretation, which always, as we saw with the NFL's kind of pass interference replay reviews, <laughs> never worked out and it never really did. So I think it'll be interesting to see if there's some refs that wind up having like a really laissez-faire view of flopping and ones that are really strict on it. Um, I'm sure they'll do trainings to try to get them all aligned on what it actually is and what it looks like. But I, I think the, the bad part is just slowing games down more than they already are. Uh, I think letting them do it during the next new, like natural timeout makes sense, but that's another 30 seconds added on, or we've seen some of these reviews go for three or four minutes. Like what, what, where does it stop? So I, I'm worried about that part of it. I think it makes sense because of how egregious flopping has become, but a little worried about the implications on that last part, as you said. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be really interesting kind of, um, to see how this actually plays out. Cause correct me if I'm wrong, but like college has flopping. There's a, there's a call in college basketball for flopping, right? Yeah. You get, you get a warning. And then the second one is a, is a yeah. tech, but they and, don't ever call it unless it is the most I, thing you've ever seen. Yeah. I, well, I, yeah, I remember being at a market game and they, then they finally called one and I think we all broke out and cheers. We were like, Hey, look, they can use that. The are um, as good at um, flopping as these NBA actors now, you know. <laughs> oh, hey man! I mean, I think yeah, I think I think it's a it's a very fair point to consider how much an impact this is going to have on the pacing of a game. Um, I I worry as as somebody that's watched the NBA for a bit and has kind of grown more and more cynical and watching like regular season games, where I'm like, Christ, like. It says five minutes left. Like, let me, like, let's, why is this, why is this half an hour now? Because, you know, every single person, it's like, they got to draw a foul. They got to draw a foul. If they draw a foul, they have to draw one. Um, so it'll be interesting. I appreciate it. I, I truly wonder kind of, I, I foresee it being similar to college in that sense of what you're saying, John, where it's like, all right, use it. Like, it's going to be interesting when you said, like, whoever the first person was, they're going to be put on blast. I wonder when the first one's going to happen. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know it's a couple weeks in and nobody's gotten called for it, despite you know fan protests. Yeah, I, I think also too, like which rep is gonna? I mean, I'm blanking on his name, but there's uh, there's a rep in particular. Damn, what's his name? Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I think it's going to be like even which ref wants to be that one to go out on the ledge to be like, let's do it. It's going to be one of the vets, like one of the veteran referees that's just like, I can't imagine like one of the, like the newly minted referees just trying to get their skin in the game. And they're just like, you know what? This is mm-hmm. I feel like they're going to huddle up and then like all, all the refs are going to be like, no, we're not. We're not opening up that can of worms yet. Not yet. You know, <laughs> if I was a rep, I would love this. I would call it on everybody. Like, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think um, another big change, uh, big 
piggybacking off all of that is the second coaches challenge that was added. Um, mm-hmm. The second coaches challenge and the first is successful, which I love uh, this rule. Um, but also, uh, they bring up game flow. And in the rule, mm-hmm. they say game flow reasons. A team will not retain the timeout used to initiate its second challenge, regardless of whether it is successful. So that part, I don't love. <laughs> I think you should be able to retain your timeout because you're still being punished in a way. Yeah. If you have your, your you, you still get the challenge again, which is great. But I still think you're being punished by not retaining that timeout. So I don't love that aspect of the rule. Um, mm-hmm. The timeout related rules governing the team's use of its first challenge will be un. Um, yeah, not I, I. I love two out of the three parts of this rule. Yeah, you can see the meeting. You can already see in the writing of the rule the meeting that they had, where they're like, "All right, guys, we got it." Now the big issue we have is pacing. How can we keep that going? And somebody threw out like, uh, "They lose the timeout anyway." It's like, all right, well. Yeah. It's, it's, it makes so much sense to let them, I mean, obviously if you win the first one, like you should get a chance because you're obviously not using them just to like get an extra timeout or, or whatever else out of it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's I, I come from the, I think the NBA has too many timeouts as it is. So like, I'm not so offended that they lose it, but I don't, I think they should lose timeouts just to like have fewer timeouts. Not they should lose timeouts because the refs can't call a game right. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally. Uh, and as far as like NBA timeouts, like I mean, they probably don't need as many. That's a fair point. Yeah. Um. Yeah, just the flow of the game. These rules. Well, at least for. I'm kind of concerned about that one, but. Uh, we'll see who makes that first call. We'll see who makes that first flop. I'm, I, my bet is on Marcus Smart. All right. Feeling. Wow. Very young. Is say this, really probably say it. I would not be surprised. Yeah, no. Trey, every team has their guy. Every team has their flopping guy where it's like, this is our boy. This is our guy. Like, he doesn't flop worse than everybody else. But every other team is like, nah, screw that guy, man. All he does is flop. Well, you know, they label him as the workhorse. They label him as the... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the grinder. The grinder. He does the dirty Glue work. guy. Glue guy. <laughs> the culture of the team. Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for that blue hair now. Oh, my God. Let's see how it goes. And, uh, I wasn't a fan of the, the green braids and whatever. <laughs> The re- the reason why he did it was good. It didn't need to go on as long as it did. Yeah, he did it for two years. It was it was like, mm-hmm. but um, another thing the NBA implemented or is going to implement this year is this in season tournament on top mm-hmm. of playing tournament um, that mm-hmm. they year going into the playoffs. Um, did you guys get an opportunity to look at? Any of this for the the new in season tournament? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, apparently, I'm well. I'm going to talk about the venue first off, and this is so stupid. Like, <laughs> okay, look at Mobile Arena. I'm like, dude, do it at the fucking Sphere, dude. Do it in the Sphere in Las Vegas. That big ass globe mm-hmm. opened up. One hundred percent. Again, this is a podcast. I'm just going to say whatever the fuck. That's 
Mm-hmm. I thought that was a dope, I, like the best time to do it. Anyways, they're doing that team over arena. I think that's boring. But anyways, it's this, this in season tournament is supposed to be held starting in November and games are going to be through like, Tuesdays and Fridays. The NBA is going to divide teams into like six different groups. Conference and each winner is gonna. It's very complicated, just like how it was complicated when the play-in got introduced at first, right? Like no one knew what the hell they were talking about when they were trying to explain. Maybe after two seasons, we were all like, "Ah, got got it." The eight, they can okay. They lose right away. All right, now it was like reading in a whole different language to me. I was like, what, what is the point of this? Um, then the quarterfinals will be held on December 4th and 5th and a home, a, a team's home arena. Um, and then the semifinals is going to be on December 7th. And then the final will be on December 9th in Vegas. Um, seems like a money grab, but what, what are you guys, what, what were your guys' takes on, uh, this in season, do you think it's necessary, or do you do you like the idea? Um, necessary is a very uh, interesting word to use. I would not say this is necessary, but I think, like, I don't know. I I really feel that this is like the just keeping the attention of fans in the regular season to just be like, hey, like, literally jingling the keys of like, st- pay attention. We have this thing going on in the midseason. No, that's why I said necessary. Not to sorry to cut you off, but that's why I meant by necessary. no. You're good. It's like the, the the fans have been complaining about the product on the court of these players are starting to get paid more and to give a fuck about the regular season less. So, mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe we can have this thing where the players will actually care. And this is even, and that's the part that's confusing me because this is even like midway through the season. Like you would think they would do this like around like All Star or something like that because All Star needs a change. You would think they would do it around then. Mm-hmm. They make so much money on All Star weekend. They're like, no, we can't touch that. So they're doing it really in the first quarter of the season. So that's what I meant by mm-hmm. necessary. Like maybe it's one of like like you're saying is like, hey, keep keep paying attention, dangling. The- you mentioned players caring. Do you do you think they're going to? No. I just I know there's I know there's a monetary <laughs> incentive for them to play. Like I just I can't imagine being like, yeah, we guys we gotta we gotta go win the thing. Like it's all on the line here. So, oh, I so like is Wait, this, this, is, this isn't gonna be the future man. argument where somebody's be like, yeah, they're better than Jordan because they won three in season tournaments and Jordan didn't win one. Like Oh, give them rings. <laughs> give them rings. I need to see like Oklahoma City with yeah, like so like, four midseason championship rings. Nobody besides Katie's fifth burner account are going to make that take. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So like, I I just don't see the point. And even as a as somebody watching, like I I'm not going to tune it. Like oh, the Bucks are in the semifinals playing the Magic. Like it just, it just doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't mean anything. Glad, um. Gosh, I'm drawing blanks on everybody today, but there is an there was a player that was just in the finals. Um, wasn't like that key of a player. However, mm-hmm. he was explaining that when they lost in the finals, just for getting there, he made 200 grand, right? 
and mm. bonus for him. So the NBA, the NBA Cup is what they're calling this. He's stupid. The NBA Cup. Listen to the winnings that the players will take. This is why they're they're they. The NBA doesn't understand that the the more that they pay these players, the less these players are going to give a fuck about what's going. Like they just don't care. And mm. well, each player on the winning team for this tournament for the NBA Cup will take home five hundred thousand dollars. That's already like. What the hell? Second place team will also get two hundred grand. <laughs> um, players on the that's, list. That's nice for an entry level guy, but like anybody who's a star is gonna be like, okay, that, I get that in two hours of sitting on my couch with my contract. <laughs> like, it goes back to like why, like why are we dishing out this money here? Like, and then why is it even more so? in this NBA Cup than the championship. Like, no one, like to Chris was saying earlier, and no one's going to count, like, oh, yeah, he was a three-time NBA Cup champion. <laughs> Just sounds ridiculous. Have contract incentives tied to that? It's, it's awful, dude. I, I And then it's like 100000 each for semifinals, 50000 for the quarterfinals. Um, it's yeah, James Harden isn't going to make it out of Vegas with that fifty grand. <laughs> oh no, no, absolutely not. But that's a good segue to James, because um, this guy. Oh wait, Carson, I don't mean to interrupt you. This is your podcast. Fully respect, but one of the things that you've skipped over in the new NBA CBA uh, is probably the greatest provision in all of basketball, or maybe all of sports history is that all NBA NBA players, except for those on two-way and 10-day contracts, not those guys, not the two-way and 10-day guys, all NBA players will receive free access to NBA League Pass. They all get free access to NBA League Pass, <laughs> except for the two-way guys and the 10-day guys who probably would who need appreciate. That's going yeah. to be some trash talk. You'd be like, you can't even watch this game. You're <laughs> such a bum. Oh. Uh, Could have gave him at least a YouTube TV. Adama Sanogo. <laughs> yeah. Adama Sanogo on the Bulls cannot, does not receive uh, NBA League best. You guys, you guys didn't want to go deep on the, this apron stuff and try to figure out what, <laughs> what any of that means? We we had an episode where we were talking about it a little bit, actually. So it's it, mm-hmm. not, not the most fun thing in the world, but it'll be something that'll be important later mm-hmm. on. I feel like I need to be yeah. a CPA to understand half of what they're trying to say there. That, that's the same thing with the, just the rules for their stupid tournaments that they're just throwing out every year. Like, <laughs> about players don't even understand what's going on. They're like, oh, no, it was Gabe Vincent, which I dis- – the disrespect to my own guy, Gabe Vincent. He was the one that there was – Interesting. AJ Reddick's podcast. How, like – first off, he was like – I don't see the point of this tournament. I think it's dumb. I play for a winning championship, not for an NBA Cup. So, mm-hmm. like, we'll see how it goes. But, um, but no. So James Harden, he's doing it again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's back. Yeah, he, he he never left. He's never left, and no. he's great. And everyone in the organization, except Daryl Morey, who is supposed to be his guy. Used to be the GM with the with the Rockets. This is supposed Those to be boy, and he's like, 
Nah, we like I, there's a report from Shams that just came out today that they're they have a strained relationship now. So it's like, I, apparently James Harden's trying to find his way to the Clippers. I've seen reports about that. Um, he picked up his player option, so he's getting his money, but then he's also trying to get get shipped off somewhere else. Um, some superstars requesting trades. Um, you know, it, it's starting to overtake free agency in a way too. I feel you know, like free agency was kind of like after Draymond signed back, it was, it was like who cares? Draymond and Kyrie, I guess, right? And then it was kind of like mm-hmm. we're worried about whether so and so is trying to get traded there, or like I mean, Damian Lillard has free yeah. now. Like, what are your guys' thoughts on these players? Like, do you think it's good for the league that they can request a trade or? What are your guys' thoughts there, uh, John? What do you think? I think I, I think at the base of it, requesting a trade, fine. If it's not working out and you want to you want to get out, I think the ability to do so is fine. But I think the team should have every right to come back and be like, "No, <laughs> you signed a contract with us. You're you're here." And I, I think it's it's I mean, there's not really any way to punish it. Obviously, if they like don't play or anything else, you can withhold their their payments and, and whatnot but like i think there's more of like a legacy conversation that needs to come into effect of like and obviously is affecting james harden of like dude if you can't work at anywhere the you might want to look in the mirror because i think you're looking at the problem there um versus it being what are we on four or five teams now that like the issue is not them i think what dame did of like i only want to get traded to miami is like kind of ridiculous <laughs> I think if, if you're asking for a trade, it should be open to like, hey, let's find the best situation for me and the team together. Like, let's let's find out where that Venn diagram meets, not necessarily like I'm going here and you need to figure out a package that makes it kind of worth it for you. Because I think that just winds up being a losing deal for whatever team you're, you're trading away from. There's not going to be many teams like once once you lose all of your leverage, they're not going to be like, hey, we're going to put together a great package for Dame. It's going to be like, hey, here's here's the bare minimum of picking up the phone with us. <laughs> Yeah, Chris. Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting. I mean, I it's especially with James Harden. He's he's the one that's kind of crazy because I feel like this is just like every summer. Like, it's this has been since I mean, I like since in Houston it was like, well, you know, I want to go here, and then it was like. The Nets and then Philly, it was just, it's always been a thing. I 100% appreciate and think it's good that the players have a voice in that sense. And they're like, hey, I don't want to be here. I'm requesting a trade. I, I think that's okay. But kind of to John's point, I agree in the sense of like, well, a team can also be like, no, nah, man, like we agreed to this contract and you're going to be playing. We're, we will try and figure out a spot for you. But I do think it has a pretty significant impact on legacy. Like, I, I don't know. I was when when I heard the news about James Harden wanting requesting a trade out of Philly. I there was a, a part of me that was like, "Who are you like anymore, dude? Like who? Why are you doing this? Like nobody like what, like Dame? Like yeah, all right. Well, this is big. Like, but like who's? I I don't think any team that got James Harden, I, truthfully, and this. this this is taking away from how good a player he act like on the court, a actually incredibly talented player, historically great player. But like, 
I don't see a single team that's like, oh, dude, we just got James Harden. Like, we made it. We're good now. The pieces are all here. It's complete. I, I, I don't know of a team that genuinely believes that. Well, it's that, and he's asking for a long-term contract. And, like, yeah. how, do you, how do you look at everything he's been doing of, like, yeah, this makes sense for us. Like, I, for what? For as few, few amount of time as possible. Let me ask, when you talk about legacy, you know, it's interesting. I think you brought up Kevin Durant. So I'm wondering, has has AD requesting a trade to the Suns, has that impacted his legacy to you guys? I don't necessarily think it was the Suns. I think it's that he did it twice. Okay. Because, like, going, going yeah. to Golden State was – the easy way out and then you go to the nets it doesn't doesn't work after a few years and that's just like okay i'm gonna go to this team that's loaded again yeah who's one of the if, guys if he was like i want to go to the orlando magic and make it work he'd be like okay <laughs> that's weird but fine because <laughs> the sun's like oh this shit again like uh, okay yeah whatever <laughs> and it's like he's got way the league is looking right now, like, a lot of these teams are, like, that one player away. They have, like, one piece away. Like, they need a KD. KD will work in any team. But a lot of teams are just yeah. KD. But I, think I agree with you. The fact that this is now the third time when it's a quote-unquote team. And I, I feel like even if he wins the championship with the Suns, it isn't gonna it isn't gonna do much for him um, at this point. I don't know if that looks great. He has to have like some exceptional performances, like like crazy. Um, but yeah, like if, if he carries the team, it means something. But like even with Golden State, he, he was obviously a major factor, but like he wasn't the guy. No. He was running through like Steph and Draymond and, and Clay were. I think it's the same with the Suns. Like if if he just supersedes Devin Booker and all those guys and just goes off and leads the team all the way through, I, I think that changes it a little bit. But right now, it's looking a little sus. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta have the, you gotta have the rest of the team on the Suns, right? Like you gotta be able to actually like field other players. Shout out Bull Bull, recent <laughs> signing. There's your there's your free agency. Hot take right there. That's the piece what they really Bull, were missing. What does Bull Bull mean to the Suns title hopes? <laughs> I don't understand why he's not like destroying the league right now, to be honest with you. Like the way why he, he's not like Victor Wembanyama. Like, I mean, we don't know, dude. Either. I mean, he looked pretty good in Summer League, but it's just like, I don't mm. know. Like, the fact that they overlooked him and they're like, no, but Wembanyama. Like you haven't had that in the with, with him. Like what made him so different? I don't know. So my man. favorite thing about Wembenyana in that summer league was how NBA Twitter kind of immediately after his first game where he didn't do great was just immediately like mm, he's Chris Tapp versus Zingas. Like, they were just like immediately like up oh, all the same parallels, same dude. Like whatever. See you in the you know see you in five years when you're on like the Pelicans or something as like a backup center. <laughs> That's tough. But we're less than a minute. Um, I'm going to close it out here. But John, Chris, appreciate you boys for hopping on. Um, of course, man. 
it definitely came here dropping some knowledge and got some good hoops talk. So I'm always happy about that. Good stuff, of course, man. What? Let me know. Um, I know the Javon Carter, Tory Craig talk got cut today. So you know, anytime you need just the full take on that, I'd be happy to. Oh, good, buddy. Appreciate you, man. <laughs>